Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Marcella. And we are both transracial and transnational adoptees, as well as licensed clinical social workers and trauma therapists. We have dedicated our lives to shedding light on the complexities of adoption and the system responsible for them. We have seen both personally and professionally the silent and overt struggles brought on by this trauma, and we are determined to do our part to bring about healing. We know that some of the information we share and topics we unpack may be triggering and uncomfortable at times, but we feel the only way to promote change is to be honest by sharing our truths and elevating the experiences of those in our community. We hope you will join us on this journey of listening and learning with an open heart and an open mind. Welcome to Adoptee's Dish. Hey everybody, welcome back to Adoptee's Dish. This is Amy. And this is Marcella. Welcome again to another episode. We are so excited that you are here joining us today. Um, I'm excited about this topic. It's one that is, I know, like we're like, you guys can't see us, but we're like giddy, like big, huge smiles on our faces. We are going to be talking about going and traveling to birth country. Birth country. Birth country. Like we have like the biggest, giddiest, like grins on our faces. It brings like such joy to us. Um, so we're really excited to dive into this topic with you all today. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is like, it is a complex topic because mm-hmm. as much as there's elements of joy and connection and beauty and magic and all the feel goods, it's also a story of loss and grief and reclaiming and work and effort and exhaustion right when I think of birth family it's like this dual hat of of both of those camps but it's a topic I get really excited about because when I think about my birth country Chile it's really the beginning of so much healing that came to my life this all-encompassing tangible point of healing in my story and I'm just excited to dive into this topic. So near and dear. I know it's like, even as we're just like a couple minutes into this, it's like, I, I, my body has like a, a physical reaction to it. Right. Like, even as you were just talking about, like imagining it, which I'm so curious, like when, when you think about Chile, when you think about like your first home, like your country, like, are there certain things that come up like for your body or is there like a certain image? Like, like my body and brain just like totally go there. I'm from Santiago, which is like this valley in the Andes mountains. So when I think about Chile, the first image that comes to my mind is the mountains, the Andes, and they're like snow capped and the sun is shining Every time I've ever been in my country has been during winter for us, but the seasons are opposite there because it's the Southern Hemisphere. And so it's summer there. So I always just think about like the warmth and the sunshine and being on the beach or um, blending in and loving to just like walk down the streets and feel like everybody looks like me. This is amazing. And I just love, love that feeling of, like you you've said it before but it really is home being in Chile ignites something inside of me that I can't really put into words or describe it's something that just connects to the core of who I am and I just love being being in my country it is it's almost there are no words I feel like that 
do it justice. It's like any word that I use just doesn't feel like enough to like encapsulate what it feels like. It's just like as soon as my feet touch the ground, as soon as I look out the airplane window and, you know, I see Colombia, I see, you know, my mountains, I see, you know, just all of that beauty. It's like just this instant calming to my nervous system it's just like almost like this this embracing of like your home like you're here this is like I don't know it's like words I just don't even do it justice yeah I remember the first time I went to Chile after um after I was adopted and I was a teenager I was 16 and we had an overnight flight it was about a 13 hour flight and so we slept I had a window seat and I remember the pilot came on and was like, we're getting, we're entering Santiago, we're getting ready to, to, to land. And I remember lifting the shade to my window and just peeking out because everyone had been sleeping. So no one was like bringing in the daylight yet. And the very first thing that I ever saw was we were, to- we were super high up. We were still in the clouds. And the Andes mountains were so tall. They were like poking through the top. Mm, yeah. And yep. I remember thinking to myself, like, oh my gosh, this is like heaven, like land in the clouds. Like I could just like, I, like to me, I was like, this is what I imagine heaven to look like where there's literally land surrounded by all these clouds. Like I just was like, imagining people like running across yeah. the tops of the mountains. And I was like, I can't believe that I come from heaven. Like I come from this like magical mm peaceful zen place and that was my very first impression of being back in country and that was just something that I'll never forget that image I'll never forget that warmth and that sensation that I had and like this true belief in that moment I was like I come from heaven which is like such a beautiful statement right and you know, we talked about in a, in a previous episode, just for us as international adoptees, that these key components of our our soul, of our self are just stripped from us, right? Or in some ways are vilified, or we're told that it's better here, or any of those things. And then just to see like where we come from and just the the sheer beauty of it on like so many different levels it just like, for me, it just like, it it makes all the other stuff that I've heard, all of the false narratives, it's just like, I can be like, I call bullshit, right? Like I call both, like this is the most beautiful land in the world. Like there is nobody that can convince me any different. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm riding high on all of that because I was, I was just there. I was just in Colombia for a couple of weeks and it is, it's just like whole, soul recharge being there and um I remember you sent me this picture when you were in Colombia and your hand was like touching the tierra you were touching the ground yes I remember just like opening up that text message I remember exactly where I was I was in my kitchen and I remember thinking to myself this is exactly what I do too it's like I remember being in Chile and having to touch the soil and having to touch the grass. And I remember having to sit on um, the ground there. And mm. it was like this, like literally a grounding experience of having to truly touch and connect with the earth. And yes. when I saw you do that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so funny because I, every time I've been in Chile, I've been so intentional about doing the same thing. 
Yes. And it's, it's such a connecting, like, I, I do not think there is a place on this earth where I feel more grounded than in Colombia, like just being surrounded by the mountains, just feeling that sun, like I know you said so many times, like the sun just hits you different, um, just being just surrounded and just kind of embraced by all of that, but being able to physically like touch my country is always like something that just is it means so so much and you know for people like you and I like there's just so much history for those of us with like indigenous roots like our ancestors like there is just so much there's so much richness and so much history in that soil in those mountains and it's just like becoming one with that is so healing on so many levels yeah yeah being in birth country is it's interesting and I've worked with a lot so I used to actually work with adoptees that were on going on homeland tours and so I've been able to not just go on my own journey of being in my birth country but also working with other international adoptees as they visit their birth countries as well in real time and some of them were navigating birth family reunions or foster family connections. And a lot of them were traveling with adoptive family at that time. And, you know, it's interesting because like anything else, there's a spectrum for everything. And I think a lot of adoptees have the experience that we've had where it is just magical and we just feel so at home and we identify with our birth countries as home. And then there's some adoptees that, you know, have a harder time for whatever reason being back in birth country and, mm-hmm. you know, it can be more triggering. And so again, not all of our experiences are the only way it is to be an adopted person, but I think it's really important to whatever comes up for an adopted person being in their country, just honoring that experience and meeting that person exactly where they are. And it all makes sense right there's been such a massive level of grief um and so when the system comes back sometimes that feels really good and really safe and we want to just like overdose on just like being in the presence of all things from our country and sometimes that our systems have a hard time tolerating being back in Mm. the country because that grief is so in our face and we our systems might find a time to make meaning of what that really is for us and so again there's a spectrum for everything but I don't think that it's possible for a adoptee to be in birth country and not think about their adoption I think that there is a myth sometimes Mm. for adoptive parents that we can travel and we can just have it be like a vacation and we can just go see some of like the big tourist attractions they're too little yeah like it's so touristy totally but I always talk to parents and say could you ever go to a graveyard and not think about death or how that's impacted your life or go visit a graveyard that you know family members are in buried somewhere and maybe not go visit their exact grave but not be curious about where they were located or what yeah same thing like it's such a layer of there's so much grief tied to us being in our countries that it's something we have to attune to from the lens of being incredibly sensitive when traveling to birth country and how we have these conversations and prepare adoptees for being in country. And every time that I've gone, at least, I know our experiences are a little bit 
different. So the first time I went back to Colombia, I I was adopted as an infant. And then I was back there when I was two and a half when we went to adopt my brother. And I still remember bits and pieces of that. But obviously, that was still quite young. And my parents had no idea like they they had like new baby on the radar, like they weren't thinking about how that would impact me and things like that. And obviously, it impacted me differently at two and a half than it did the next time I went back, you know, when I was, I don't know, what was I in like fourth grade, and then a different time when I went back in, you know, around eighth grade, and so on and so forth. But I think that for me, each time, absolutely, there have been so many layers of this is amazing. I feel so much more complete. I feel myself recharging. I feel all of this like groundedness and connectedness. But there's also been like different hard stuff that comes up each time. And I think that that is something that's so important for adoptive parents, extended adoptive family, if your partner is an adoptee, if you are friends with an adoptee, if you are a clinician working with an adoptee, to know that that is on the radar um, so that you can provide support. Obviously, you can't fix it and make it go away, but so that you can be um, an attuned support system for that adoptee as they navigate whatever comes up for them. I'm curious when you talk to families as they're preparing these conversations before even planning is really taking place. And there's just like curiosities about exploring birth culture or birth country. How do you help families or how do you help adoptees even begin to explore that and prepare for their initial trip? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think that the fact that you're saying that is so important, because a lot of times there's not a lot of like pre planning other than like the logistics of like, we've got to plan the flight, and we've got to find a hotel and we've got to, you know, do all of those kinds of things. But the emotional and, um, you know, support pre planning, I think is so important. And Again, as we talked about in other episodes, sometimes there is such an aversion to having these conversations or an adoptee even saying, I want to go to my birth country. I want to make a trip. I want to make this a thing. And so even just having to make sure that this is like common conversation from the jump, even if you're not in the space of planning a trip right away of you want it to be an open dialogue of whenever that's something that crosses your adoptee's mind, that it is a safe thing to discuss. It is something that is validated. It's something where you can say that makes so much sense. Like that is not something that you have to hide. And I think that it's empowering the adoptee to know that when you're an international adoptee, searching for your roots, right? Part of that is searching for your country. And sometimes for some adoptees, that is enough for them. I have so many adoptees that they choose to not seek out biological family or that's not an option, but searching out their country that is there is a way for them to still fill in some of those gaps, fill in some of those puzzle pieces and have a connection to all of these other parts of themselves that they carry. So I think that that's really important stuff to always keep in mind before even like actually having a, a, a calendar, you know, dates trip planned. Yeah. I think one thing that I would add to that is always letting people know 
as adoptees know that whatever comes up for you, like whatever curiosity lands for you makes total sense. Thing. Whether it's super, super, super big or super minute in the detail, it all makes sense. Your system has lost this in its entirety and you're just yeah. trying to make meaning of what it could possibly feel like be like sound like smell like taste like to be back in country right like using all of our senses to really experience mm. what we've lost and what we're stepping back into and a lot of times through microaggressions through shame through ignorance through racism through so many different things we haven't been given as adopted people, as international adoptees, the full permission to just talk these things out loud or explore these topics. Totally. And I think that you tapped into something really important in terms of like that sensory stuff. It's it's really interesting. When I'm here in the US, like I have so many like sensory sensitivities. Like it's really, really weird. Like there's stuff that I just like my system cannot tolerate. And when I'm in Colombia, it's like totally different. My system responds totally, totally differently. And it's important to remember, like when we left for many of us very, very young, when we left our birth countries, all of the information we were interpreting was through our senses. Like many of us did not have language. Many of us did not understand what was going on. Like any little teeny tiny pieces that we were trying to put together was through sensory input. And so that is something that is so important, like taking in, like Amy said, all of the sights and the sounds and the smells and the, you know, all of those kinds of things, because that's going to help things kind of align for your system and, you know, in a different way now that, you know, you're at a different developmental stage. Yeah. And I, like, I remember the first time I was in Chile, I remember walking um, by my grandma's house, actually. <clears throat> And I remember thinking, like, this place is so familiar, so mm. familiar. And I, I remember thinking to myself, like, how Crazy. could this possibly be familiar? Like, oh, this is my first time here. And then I remember in that same moment, I, I checked myself and I was like, this is not the first time I've been here. Like, this is where I right. This is where I spent so much time with my biological mom. And so, of course, it makes sense that this place, it's like, my, my system was finally matched with that other puzzle piece of like, oh yeah, this is where I've been looking for my whole life because this is where I expected to be. This is where my system was expecting to come home to. This is where my system was expecting to hear and yeah. touch and feel. And so similar to you having a lot of sensory input issues here, just about, you know, having certain aversions to things or it, like not just like feeling my body not being able to fully ground and mm -hmm. it's like a true safety that is totally juxtaposed and very different when I'm in Chile and yeah. even though there's things in Chile that are so hard and have been traumatic in some ways for me just in my story and, and navigating certain things it just being in my country is so ridiculously grounding for my whole being I say it to my family in Colombia all the time, but it's it's the same thing. I feel that just being in Colombia is like my system already knows you, right? Like this isn't foreign. This isn't strange. You aren't strangers. This isn't like a foreign exotic place like this is familiar to me. My system recognizes this. It's almost like that muscle memory, like even though there was time that passed and 
you know, there were times when I wasn't able to go back as frequently as I'm able to go now. Like, it's just like, there's still that muscle memory of like, oh yeah, I can just like, you know, slide right back into this. For adoptees who haven't been to their country yet, or for adoptees who are preparing for their first trip, being in country is very different than anticipating being in country or totally being in country, right? There's we never really know. We can prepare for something all day, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we understand or know what's happening, right? So I'm curious, what are some things that you like to talk to families about or adoptees about, about actually being in country? Mm, well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, and I think it's so different too, because I work with families where, um, you know, the the child is still a minor and like parents would obviously be accompanying on them on the trip. And then I work with other adoptees where they never had that opportunity. That wasn't something that adoptive parents offered to them. And so they're having to navigate their first trip back all by themselves, right? Which is like a whole lot of stuff to try and, you know, sort out. But I think for, you know, the the first one where it's, you know, a minor child that is going to be going with somebody in, you know, their adoptive family, I think a lot of it is, you know, again, going back to some of that prep before you're even in country is like talking about what could potentially come up, right? Just so that, you know, there's some words around it, right? Of like, you know, there might be some days where like you feel a little confused or there might be some days where like you're just really tired and you don't have a lot of energy or there might be some days where, you know, you feel some really like big angry feelings and just kind of putting those things out there even beforehand so that it's like something absorbs and then if and when, something does come up in birth country, there's like a bigger chance that they might be able to access some of that language. I think a big thing for, um, you know, with the parents that I talk about is making sure that like legally you have like documents, right? That you have, like I know for Colombia, um, like they want to know if you were adopted after a certain point, like that you have your Colombian passport because we have dual citizenship after a certain point, that you have your identification, um, a lot of times like they, um, you know, will ask you for that stuff because our even our U.S. passports say that we were born in another country. And so making sure that just logistically you have that stuff done, because if you don't, that can add a lot of additional anxiety for the child. If like you're having to get pulled over in customs or if you don't have the right documents and then you're frantic and all of those kinds of things. Um, so I think that that's important. And then, you know, I'm really conscious to tell people that when they are there to not have like super big high expectations, like not to have everything be super rigid and scheduled and like, oh my gosh, we're going to do this and cram 25 things into a day, like really trusting the adoptee's nervous system while they're there of like, what do they want to explore? Where do they want to go? What are they just feeling on any given day that may or may not allow, you know, a certain activity or a certain plan to be totally carried out? Um, and just, again, having it be really adoptee-centric, not having this just be like a typical family vacation. Or I know that, you know, a, a, you know the support group that I was from, it becomes like, in my opinion, this big like touristy spectacle, um, especially because like sometimes lots of people in a big group will go together, which is already overwhelming and really, really overstimulating. And it can 
make it for the individual adoptee that all of their stuff just kind of gets dismissed or pushed aside and lost in the shuffle. And I think that that's something really important to be aware of. Yeah, I think that that is so, 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 that's like awesome. Um, Yeah, and I think just flexing that muscle of learning how to be truly present so that yourself, you know, as an adopted person, I think we tend to have higher levels of dissociation, higher levels of all these strategies that can run when we're under pressure or feeling stressed or all these different dynamics come out about people pleasing and going with the flow in the big group. But I love what you said about just trusting the adoptee's nervous system and trusting what their system needs to explore. When I first got to Chile, we got there at 8 a.m. And then we ended up going, My we met my birth family at the airport. And then we they dropped us off at the hotel and I slept for eight hours. So my first day in Chile yeah. was full on shutdown mode of, I met my birth mom and now I'm going to go take the longest nap of my life. And then we went over for dinner, right? And then I ended up spending the night there and, and it was like a whole, from there, everything. Yeah. Like that whole first day was my parents just knew that I needed this moment of complete like it was like a total system reboot for me and that's exactly what we needed and so just like what you said of being allowing everything to just be really flexible and things to change in the moment as well because this is such our systems are are so brilliant and how they take in all these pieces of information at every single moment and they're assessing cues of danger cues of safety cues of belonging cues of all these things and it's all hitting the system at such a rapid rate being back in birth country for the first time just mm-hmm. there can be overstimulating just having your foot on the ground there can be overstimulating and so I loved what yeah. you said that. I think that's and then if you're adding all these extra layers right or all of these extra people or all of these extra time commitments and things like that like it really just narrows the adoptees space to feel whatever it is that comes up it kind of forces them into that more protective system of like oh I just got to compartmentalize that or I've just got to like shut that off or whatever it is and that's that's not necessarily going to be helpful and remembering too like this is a really personal thing like right like for my parents they are their parents like they they love Colombia they love I mean not as much as I do right but it's you know it hits different but they love going there right they love it they have always loved and embraced the culture all of those things but for me it hits differently and it's it's such a personal experience being there and that has to be what takes the lead in this right like if my parents were like oh well we want to go do this touristy thing and we want to go do this and we want to plan this and like having it be focused on like all of the stuff that they want to do like sometimes when I am in birth country all I want to do is like go to like a park or something and sit in the sun and be able to have my mountains in view and just like be there like I don't want to be doing anything touristy because guess what like I don't feel like I'm a tourist there this is my country I'm not a tourist um if I was living there Um, and had been living there all along, like I wouldn't be doing all of these like touristy kinds of things like that doesn't feel authentic to me. Yeah. And I think that that's having that's important. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do is just like get a coffee or a tea or a glass of wine and just sit in like the hustle. I will sit like I never sit here. Like I don't sit. I mean, well, I sit my ass down like when it's like what today it's like negative 15 here. So like I've been sitting on the couch under like 85 blankets today because my Colombian blood doesn't like this. But like, yeah, like I can just 
do that for hours when I'm there, literal hours. But -hmm. for a lot of people that are going for the first time, I think the mentality is, well, we want to make sure that, you know, they see this or they see this or for an adult adoptee, I want to make sure that I like get in all of these different spots to go see. And sometimes it's just being right. It's just being in this space that, you know, can be really just that that can be enough. And it can also be a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing too, is like after a trip, Holy oh, girl. Oh, I, I'm in it. So it's like, yes, I I'm in it. I'm like poster child for the after right now. Ooh. So the hardest thing for me, I would say one of the top hardest things for me in life is leaving Chile. Like 100%. it's, it's a 13 hour flight back usually around there. And I've been known to cry the entire way. Like how am I walking in that completely dehydrated puddle by the time I'm like back in the United States, but I, it's, it's gut-wrenching. It is so hard for me to leave. And when we think about any information that we get, it takes a long time for it to integrate into our systems. And so when we get back, we're unpacking things for weeks, months, years after we're having these Mm -hmm. moments these things settling into our systems just a little bit more comfortably and we need the space as adopted people to be able to process that out loud authentically in a really raw way without shame or judgment because for the first time for many of us we're being confronted with the realness and the honesty of what it's like to be a person understanding and the entirety of what it's like to be back in country mm-hmm. and that experience is so life-changing that we need the chance to be able to process that and pick apart all the different complexities in a way that's not going to shame us out of that yeah for sure no I could literally as you were describing that it's like I could totally feel it I am totally in it at this point I am not even two weeks since I've been back in Buffalo, since being in Colombia. And it is honestly, I relate 100%. I go kicking and screaming. It is like every cell in my body um, doesn't want to move. Like it, it will literally be from the time that I have to leave wherever I'm staying, go, you know, into the taxi to the airport, go through customs, get on the plane. Like it feels like my body weighs like, five zillion pounds and I have to somehow make myself move it is it is I don't even know what words to describe it um but I think that in so many ways we have to remember like it is our system remembering that the first time I ever left I had no context nobody was helping to explain to me what's going on I was totally still grieving the loss of my mother. Um, I'd already gone through so many traumatic changes. Um, I didn't know where I was going, right? Like there was already all of this sensory overload and my system, those littler parts of me remember that. And, you know, it's a trauma response, right? It's a trauma response of, I don't want to go. I'm being ripped from something that I don't want to leave. It's like my whole system is just like, no, like I, I don't want to do this. And it, it it's, it's just this, it's an unimaginable pain and grief. It was, um, 
when I was uh, in between undergrad and grad school, I actually lived in Colombia for a year. That was like the longest amount of time that I'd ever spent, like, you know, uh, in in succession. And when I came back, um, it was actually my my mom, my adoptive mom that noticed it. She's like, Marcella, you're you're depressed. You're depressed. And I was depressed for weeks after coming home. Like it was something that I had never really seen in myself before to that level. And it just, it, it takes a while for the system to bounce back. And now thankfully I'm aware of that now. Um, and the people close to me know when I get back, like I need, I need a hot second, right? Like I remember I was in the, I was on the, in the airplane, like texting Amy, like, oh my God, like I am on the struggle bus right now. Like this is, this is really, really hard. Um, and it does get better, but it's just, it's still just always this, this pain, this void that's there until, you know, I get to go, get to go back again. But yeah, it's, it's an excruciating process. Yeah. And not having to fill it with like, oh, but you're going to have all this stuff to look forward to, or like X, Y, and Z. Like we don't need to hear that. It's no, still, yeah. like, you know, be gentle with yourself. Take mm-hmm of yourself this of course this is hard of course your system is grieving of course your system is trying to make meaning of why you have to leave we take with us on a daily like I said in a daily way even outside of our system of our awareness we're integrating things that we picked up in country and integrating them into our identity development and so yeah, like think like the dust has to settle, right? And I think that that's so important for adoptive families, for clinicians that are working with adoptees that may be going back to birth country. If you just know an adoptee or anything like that, it's having to be so sensitive that afterwards, like most people that are close to me now know that the thing to say after I come home is not, oh my gosh, tell me about it. Like, what was the best part? Please tell me, like, show me pictures, all of these kinds of things. Like, I can't tolerate that because even though I took, I don't even know, like five gazillion pictures on my phone right now where I'm at still so fresh. Like, I can't look at them right now without like my heart breaking in a million pieces, right? So like being able to be really sensitive to, you know, just the adoptee may have to come to you with that stuff on their time. It doesn't mean you still can't check in and be there and be attuned to if they're struggling with something, but it may not be, you know, the typical how you would respond to somebody going to Disney World or somebody going to, you know, some other not as emotionally charged trip. Yeah. And I think we have to, you know, remember that this is so rooted in grief and loss and trauma and you know that we have to be really delicate in how we have these conversations and taking an adoptee's lead on that in many cases right you know if they're really open and want to share listening and active listening is so important if they're closed off knowing that of course that makes sense but like you were saying continue to check in and don't just assume that that is that this is like a never going to be a conversation so the yeah. more that you can show up and just offer that opportunity to engage and have that connection mm-hmm. when someone is ready, then they say, oh yeah, I remember so-and-so is a safe person that's curious about this alongside with me and isn't going to shame or judge me for it. They interrogate. Yeah. They understand that how to hold space for me as I navigate this. And so it's really yeah. important to, to continue to offer, offer yeah. that. 
I think something that's so important, and I'm curious if this is something that comes up for you or if you've heard it with like clients, it takes, I mean, obviously the mental emotional toll, but the before, during and after with just our physical health too, like that's something that my system like goes crazy during like the before, during and after, like the before, like, oh my gosh, like I'm just like so excited, but then I'm also anxious because I hate traveling because there's so much overstimulation and transition. And then while I'm there, I am like on cloud nine and I am grounded and then amazing. And then probably like a day and a half before I have to leave, it sets in all of that heaviness and I get a little bit more like my body is prepping for having to go through this like immense transition and this immense grief. And then, you know, it hit me yet again, like when I got home and part of it was because Buffalo is freezing cold and horrible right now, but like I got sick, like my system was just like wiped out. I was exhausted. I just had to stay in bed. Like it was just like everything. And so it's having to be attuned to that that may be something that happens for an adoptee going back. Or I know many, many adoptees that while they're there, they're like, oh my gosh, like I just feel sick to my stomach the whole time. I'm having a migraine. Um, You know, I can't keep any food down, right? Like there are all sorts of different just somatic reactions well, yeah, to and I mean, all of that too. Yeah, because I think what you were saying earlier about just like how hard it's to leave. It's like our systems implicitly are remembering the last time that we had to leave and how traumatic that was. It wasn't like we're yeah. leaving to go on a vacation we're leaving because this tremendously life-altering um, trauma wound was just implanted in our timelines and our right. stories. And, you know, I think <clears throat> when we are back in country, regardless of how grounded, regardless if we're in reunion, regardless if it's positive, sometimes our systems, the parts of us that aren't oriented to time or that are still running these old strategies or these cognitions of what it was like to be so little at the time of our placements, you know, can literally be an attachment um, shock and yeah. abandonment shock. And that has very real, you know, like brain STEMI type symptoms where we're sweating and we can't breathe and we have those migraines or we feel dizzy or we have vertigo or whatever it might be. I mean, these are things that happen when you listen to people who are in the moment of a threat, right? Gun to my head. Oh my God, I couldn't stop shaking. My hands were clammy. My throat. I felt like my chest was caving in, right? Mm -hmm. These are things that happen when our systems are under a threat response and being back in country can have that same impact because last time that we were there, we endured this tremendous loss that altered our beings to the core. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that these somatic things come up and it makes sense that we're run down and it makes sense that we're running on overdrive. And it makes sense that when we get back, we get sick, or it makes sense that we might be like dissociative a little bit because our totally. systems are trying so hard to keep up in this dance of, I really want this. I want to be connected. And at the same time, this also can feel really scary and overwhelming. And my system just is try doing the very best it can to make meaning of everything in between. Yeah. And I think it's, it's having the awareness because I mean, until you experience it, you don't quite know how your system is going to react and respond. And I think that it's just, you know, normalizing, like, I can't tell you how helpful it was when I was away for you to just have those reminders of just like, just be gentle, right? And like, that makes total sense, right? And just like that validation that, 
even though I might not feel like I have total control over it, like my nervous system is doing what it feels like is necessary and it's trying to keep me safe and it's trying to protect me. And for the adoptees, gaining awareness of what that looks like, but then also for the adoptive parents, being really attuned to the fact that most likely your kid isn't going to just be like all giggles and laughs and like awesomeness. And if they are, there may be a chance that that is a part of them that is feeling like they can't show the other things. There may be moments where they absolutely are happy and absolutely loving it. And like, this is the most amazing thing ever. But it's 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 ignorant to think that other stuff isn't going to come up too. And we want to be able to be aware and notice those signs, whether they are verbal, whether they are nonverbal, and not just say like, you know, so many times, like this would happen to my brother all the time. Like he, he would get like physically sick sometimes when we would go to Colombia. And so often like it would just be chalked up. Oh, you probably just like caught a bug on the airplane or blah, 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 blah. And like now like therapist brain of me is like, oh no, like his body was probably having like a really strong reaction because I'm sorry, like nobody catches a bug every single time you're on a trip to Colombia. Like that's just not a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, those kinds of things of just being attuned so that you can provide, you know, the most effective support. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in order to do that, like I always say in every episode is just being mindful of your own triggers as a parent and Mm -hmm. own, especially when we're in birth country about how we feel about different ethnicities, race, classism, cultures, all these things, because when it's in your face like that, you want to make sure that you're holding the most sensitive and compassionate space possible for your child so that when they come to you with their curiosities and questions, that they know that they're being met with somebody who's very attuned and able to hold so much space that is coming from a place of genuine empathy and so much love for them and their as they explore all of these different topics and things. And so keeping a pulse on your own rejection stuff, your own sense of, because you might see your kid having the best time of their life and think, oh my gosh, like they're, I never see them this happy with me. Mm-hmm. Right. Or I never, how can I ensure that they feel this peaceful when they're with me or whatever it might be? And thinking right, it about you. Yeah. Just keeping up your own pulse on your own abandonment triggers, your own rejection triggers, your own biases towards different cultures and ethnicities. So that when you hold space for your child, it's, it's a place that can hold their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, just even as you were saying that, I think something that's so important, and I think we've talked about it in other episodes, right, is like for, um, this comes up for transracial adoptees, this comes up for international adoptees, is like there's still those moments where you feel like you don't quite fit, right? And there's still those moments of I'm not this enough or I'm not that enough. And remembering like if you are an adoptive parent, you know, a foreigner to your child's birth country and they are going, you know, to have their one of their first experiences of, of going back with you, that's going to be a different experience than, you know, them just being on their own, just like they are seen different here when they're attached to you, right? They may, you know, benefit from your privilege. People might treat them a little bit differently because they're attached to you. It's going to be kind of similar there in some ways, right? When I was, 
much younger and going back to birth country and didn't totally have, you know, all of my Spanish speaking language and everything. I was attached to, you know, my gringo parents, like going through Colombia. And obviously people knew that, right? Like my parents are the Blanquitos, like they would be very, very easily detected. And then I would somehow fit in there, but people would treat me differently because I was attached to them. And so that didn't lend itself to a completely authentic experience. Whereas now when I go and I can command the language, now it looks like, you know, these gringos are affiliated with me somehow. And like, I'm just their translator or something like that. Right. But I have a much more authentic experience now. Um, But there's still moments where it just feels like, oh, like this doesn't quite feel right. Or, you know, if I haven't been for a really long time and I'm rusty on my Spanish and I have to ask people to like repeat things or things like that, like it's just some of those little nuances or, you know, I'll never forget one time when I was much younger, when I went, I must have been like, you know, 15, 16 and somebody came up and obviously I look similarly to everybody else, but they asked me like for directions and I had to just be like, "Ah." I I don't know. Right. And like, it's those little moments that sometimes, you know, can be so painful and bring up some of that grief of like, oh, shit, like if I had been here all along, like, I should know this stuff, I should be able to provide that. And I can't. Yeah, I remember one time, I think it was my first or second trip. I think it was my second trip to Chile. We were in a bank. We were in something else with my birth family. And in Chile, in Spanish, you say, como estas? Like, how are you? Como estas? Or like, if it's some, in a formal setting or someone you're just meeting, you say, como esta? Como esta usted? And in Chile, like, it's a very, like, they have a lot of slang and it's very informal in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, como tai? Como tai? Like, how are you? Like, como instead of like, como estas? Yeah. And I remember, like, I really wanted to impress my birth mom. <laughs> and I was like, we were like at this bank and she like knew someone working there. We were, I don't know if it was a bank, we were somewhere. And she was just like talking with this woman and just totally, I was just like, oh, como tai? And then like, they were just like, oh my God. And I like, I remember feeling so embarrassed because I was like, this is totally not how I should greet this woman that I'm meeting for the first time. Right. And there's this element of being so embarrassed because I'm the oldest yeah. of my sibling set. And so of all the siblings, I should have known better. Right. And, but there are these like, these cultural faux pas that can happen and just knowing that that is just a uncomfortable and awkward thing that you're not alone in and just naming that I think is just now I can look back on it and laugh a little bit but in the moment I was just absolutely mortified mortified. I was (laughs) just like what in the world am I doing and so it's yeah it's just it's hard. it's hard though it's so hard well and it's so hard because like something like language like you know a language is like it takes so much mental bandwidth and then if we're in birth country you know in some you know aspects we're going in and out of like protective systems and survival states like sometimes my bandwidth for Spanish especially if like I've had like a super emotional day or like there's just been a lot going on in my systems trying to process like I lose my Spanish at times and it's like hard to have all of that cognitive logical stuff paired with all of that really heavy emotional stuff and then those are the moments where it gets extra complicated because then I'll like you know flub up a sentence or I'll you know translate something wrong in my head and answer the wrong question or something like that 
And then, you know, they'll look at me funny or something like that. And then just like you said, you internalize the like, oh shit, like I should have known that. Like I should have known better. Like, why does this have to be so hard? I, you know, even had moments, you know, that my most recent trip of like, I hate that I have to fight so hard for this, right? I hate that I have to do all this extra work and go through all of these extra hoops for stuff that should just be mine, right? I should know all of the dances. I should know how to cook the food. I should know how to, you know, say every single thing that I want to say. I should know all the telenovelas that are going on. Like I should just, I should just know when it sucks that I don't know. Yeah, no, it's true. And it's, um, it's part of that grief that we hold, right? And totally. as much as we don't have to choose one world over the other, our systems are always seeking to ground. I mean, that's just a human thing. And so it's hard when we don't feel like we have one, we have one foot in one world and one foot in the other. And it feels hard when there's some ambiguity to that. Yeah. Um, And then when added people, like the added factor of when people can't be respectful of that and like hold space for that, then it's either side of the, in either side of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious for you, Amy, the questions that I get so, so often, mainly from adoptive parents is like the question of like, well, how old should my child be, right? Like, should they be an adult? Should they be 18 the first time they go back? How often should they go back? Is this like a one-time thing? Like, you know, they go once and then I've like done my due diligence. Like, what are some of the things that you say to those questions? Hmm. I think it's a little nuanced, but what I try to say to families is that first, if your ch- first and foremost, if your child is asking or curious, they're ready, right? Like mm-hmm. they know that their systems are ready. So even if they're three years old and they want to go, then yeah, then then if you're yep. able to, that's a great opportunity, right? Trusting our child's nervous system is just going to carry you so far on any topic when it comes to adoption and navigating the complexities of adoption. Um, but, you know, I think that if it's something that you notice with your child, it's causing extreme aversion where it is detrimental in that moment for them to go. And I, I shouldn't say detrimental for them to go, but if it's something that their systems just have a zero tolerance to, and it would be more distressful for them to go because they're just not, they haven't processed enough yet, or they haven't, um, like it would just be too anxiety producing, then maybe hold off, but keep a pulse on, you know, that conversation and be open to it. But what I do think is that when we talk about all things adoption, we want to normalize that language from the beginning that you were adopted, that you come from this place, that this is as much as mm-hmm. we know the story, whatever it is. And so I think if you're able to, you know, normalizing visiting, it would be an ideal situation. I love how totally. you have access to that as a child. And it sounds like your parents were really intentional about trying to keep that as consistent as they were able to. And so I think that that's something that <clears throat> if a family is able to do, I think it just helps because we develop at different ages. We see mm-hmm. the world and we can integrate those pieces and then it doesn't become this big scary looming thing and I think so often birth country is explored when an adopted person really 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 pushes the envelope but I think that if 
adoptive family can say, hey, we support you in this and promotes that culture within the family from the beginning, then it just creates a layer of safety for that adopted person to be able to explore like, wow, like this, I have all this support in my curiosities. I have all the support in my desire to explore and understand on a deeper level. And I think whenever our systems are just seen and affirmed in that way, regardless of what the topic is, it gives us a chance to just access a little bit more safety and grounding in our needs. And so I think that to answer that, it's kind of a long-winded answer. So I think one is know your kid. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Know your kid. And make sure that you're not, the thing I'd add to that too, is making sure that, like you said, I love what you said of if it is too distressing for them, obviously be attuned, but so often adoptive parents project their own distress about it onto the kid or onto the adoptee and then it becomes oh no 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 we can't do it because that's too much for them when it's like no actually the adoptee would be totally okay it's your stuff that is hindering this and keeping a pulse on your stuff at all yes exhausting hard but so necessary and then so knowing your kid knowing your own stuff and then also doing your very best to normalize it and obviously finances obviously like there's a whole host of factors that go into how often a family can travel yeah. But I think that it is so meaningful when children are able to explore and merge those worlds together because mm-hmm. it lessens the burden of you have to choose or you have to pick or you have to be loyal to this side or that side. And it offers an opportunity for that blending to occur for that mm-hmm. child to see I'm supported all around the world. I'm supported in multiple cultures and my family expands beyond just what I know in my adoptive community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I, I really do believe that if you are going to adopt internationally, having on your radar that at some point in time, you are going to have to go back to birth country with the adoptee or facilitate and help make that possible for them um that has to be there right like that has to be a in my opinion like that's a non-negotiable like you should not be adopting internationally if that is not something that you can fully support if that is something that you have qualms about if that is something that you want to adopt sign the papers and close the door um I would highly recommend reconsidering international adoption because I just think that that is that's so damaging um I also think that just and this is just kind of some of my own personal stuff is you see I mean and we've talked about this in a zillion other episodes right like adoption is is an industry it is a business people are paying tens upon tens of thousands of dollars to go through the adoption process, but then you're going to tell me that you're not going to have money to go back to birth country, to explore, to help your child be able to go there, having a fund saved for like when they are wanting to go there. Like that to me doesn't add up of why you're willing to crowdsource and fundraise to get this kid, but then you're not willing to help facilitate things that would be in their best interest and help in their feel in their healing. Um, That to me just is not, that's not ethical. That's not okay. That's not being adoptee centric. So, and I'm also of the belief that if at all possible, 
um, you know, going back at different stages in development is so important. I think that that was a big game changer for me, being able to go back, probably not at every single stage of development, but at quite a few of them. I interpreted things differently. I had different takeaways. I had a different capacity to be able to understand things and absorb things. And I think that that was a huge part of the healing process that if that is possible, and if that is something that, you know, your adoptee is asking for, then that is absolutely something that should be offered, like no questions asked. Yeah, I haven't gone back since I became a mom. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And, um, but I so crave that part of my identity development being back in country as a mom yeah. and just having things come so full circle just of totally. that relinquishment from now me being a mother um I really and then this whole element now of like bringing my kids and my husband and sharing this whole piece of who they are and the legacy continues right like adoption mm -hmm. doesn't just end but my children are, are half Chilean and they have this these stories inside their bodies as well. And, <clears throat> and so it's just, that's another complexity that I'm still trying to reconcile the right time and in the right way. And then those same questions come up for me of, is it my responsibility to take them and for them to understand and to know their country mm -hmm. um, in, in this really intimate and unique way and being able to, you know, also navigate my own stuff so that I have the capacity to be present for them then when we go and, and all that stuff. So, you know, it's, it's not an easy topic, but it's like you said, it's, it's essential for that developmental piece. And I think that regardless of an adoptee's position or where they're at in their discovery, like exploration or, you know, wherever they are, I think that there's so much value to being in country that we can't underestimate that. And the the amount of information that our systems just have access to, our deeper understanding that we have of who we are just by knowing that we started somewhere. Yeah, for sure. No, I, 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 I totally relate to what you said of just like when I'm, when you're not there, it's just that longing. Like for me, like COVID killed me with all of the travel restrictions and not being able to go that for me as an adult was the longest time that I was away from Colombia, the longest time that I, for factors beyond my control, like could not get home. And it was like such a dysregulating experience. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's this intense, just longing, like wherever, whenever you're not there, like there's a part of you that just feels like it's missing. And that is just like longing for that again. I'm going to leave here and like go book a flight. It's fine. It's all fine. Yeah. I, I really miss being in Chile and, you know, hopefully soon that can be something that our family is able to do. And <sighs> going back to that whole, you know, preparation, being in, managing all those expectations. I mean, yeah. but it's, it's worth it. Yeah. Well, and just, and it's such a personal journey for everyone, right? Like there are so many commonalities, right? Like you hear Amy and I talk about it. And like I said, that we just have like a, a grin ear to ear on our face. Um, that doesn't mean that that's everybody's exact experience. Everybody's experience is unique and personal. Um, 
Deserve. And I think that that's something to be totally honored and that makes a lot of sense and it's something to be acknowledged. But I think that it's, you know, it, it's such an important part of restoring some balance and restoring, you know, a little bit of peace to the system, because even if it manifests differently for other adoptees, the the reality at the end of the day is that something that we had a right to, something that was just part of our chain was taken from us, right? Like we were removed from that chain that was stripped away from us and that did cause effects, right? It manifests differently, just like we talk about trauma manifests differently for everyone, but, you know, never underestimate, um, you know, just being, you know, touching down on, on your land, on your so if you've been to birth country or if you are planning a trip to birth country, we would love to hear from you and yes. hear what experiences were like. Um, does it, do, is what we're saying resonating or does it seem, does it feel really different from what you've experienced or are hoping to experience? We would love to hear your stories and you can reach us at on Instagram at Adopties Dish Podcast or at adoptiesdish at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. You guys lift us up and your um, feedback is always super encouraging to us. So thank you for being in community with us. It is such an honor. Thank you guys. Tune in next time. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to Adoptees Dish. We want to give a special shout out to Patreon, Spotify, iTunes, and Anchor. If you like what you heard and want to support our work or allow us to have amazing guests on the show, please consider making a donation. We can be reached on Instagram at Adoptees Dish Podcast, at Grow Heal Blossom, and Marcella Maslow. And you can send us emails at adopteesdish at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for our next episode. Please share this podcast. Talk to others about things you learned. Together, we have the potential to heal broken systems.